you guys, last week it was pretty hot in here. This week it's not so bad. We've added some fans. I also bought some popsicles on the way to church today, but I only bought like 120. So some of you aren't going to get one, but we're going to start the message with popsicles today. So we got some middle school students. If you want a popsicle, raise your hand and you're going to get one right now. They are sugar-free, Clayton. They are sugar-free popsicles. Get your hand up. You get a popsicle on me today. My gift to you. Jeremy, no popsicle? Chantel wants one. Kelly wants one. Don't be afraid. What? Okay. All right, good. If you have uh, been around Two Rivers Church, you know that uh, every... I mean, how sweet is this, guys? You get a popsicle for the sermon, Maggie. MD, you don't want a popsicle. You, you're good. Okay. All right. Sounds good. No popsicles here? So this is... I love it. I tell you what, to be up here to preach and to watch you guys enjoying a popsicle, Billy, I mean, if you've been around Two Rivers for any amount of time, you know I pull this out of my hat every once in a while during the summer months. So you're welcome. You're welcome. If you didn't get one, I'm sorry, but it looks like there's some more. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Uh, oh, Jer Jeremy's going to take one. And I just heard from my friend Ryan Griffin. He goes, we're this close to the permit on getting AC in the sanctuary. And all God's people said, amen, 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 amen. We can do this today. Uh, it's cooler up here for me than it was for you last week, Jody. It was freezing. Someone literally thought you were cold last week. And I was like, I think she was kidding the whole time because she was not freezing in here last week. Um, I'm Jason. Uh, I'm excited to be with you in this space today. Uh, I feel a little bit like I'm not a rodeo guy. I've never actually been to a rodeo. Uh, I haven't, Bill. I've never been to one. I want to go to one. But like, I feel like one of those like bucking broncos that's like in the cage, like, I'm ready, I'm ready. Because it has been four weeks for me since I have been in this space with you, opening God's Word and teaching. And since we moved here in 2011, uh, and we started gathering weekly in 2012. I, don't, I think it's pretty rare that I've ever had two Sundays off in a row, but to go three Sundays off, I don't know that I've ever had that experience. So i got a lot to say today. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been in the saddle, but I'm, just, I'm genuinely so excited to be here with you today uh, and to open God's Word in the story of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, we're in a 10-week series called Abe to Dave. Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons. Um, we are some of his sons and daughters. I mean, the song is, is escaping me, but I grew up in a Methodist church and we used to sing, sing it and we would do the arms and the Close your hand, turn out, do it. Anybody know that? Anybody doing that? Yes, I've forgotten the words. But you did that last week and had some laughter as it kind of flailed with me, Jody. But anyway, Father Abraham had many sons. Yes, yes. Okay. 
with your popsicles right now, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> with your popsicles. Um, here's some serious context for you. Oh, oh, wait. Oh. Chosen family, Abraham, Genesis 12. Chosen nation, Jacob today had 12 sons, which would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's name would be changed from Jacob to Israel. 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. Chosen nation, the nation, the Jewish nation, right? Chosen people, the people of God. Messiah, Jesus, would be the fulfillment of all the prophecies. And he is the savior of the world, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Chosen family, chosen nation, chosen people. The Old Testament is God's salvation history. These stories that we are talking about this summer is the foundation and the context for us to understand and have gratitude for the New Testament and the new covenant of God's grace in Jesus. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20, all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And so we're doing 10 weeks, 10 characters, Abraham to King David. And I'm really thankful for our leadership team uh, kind of giving me uh, kind of a different rhythm uh, during the summer. Uh, and so I'll be up today. And then Andrew West will be up next week, and it'll be a few weeks, and then I'll be up again. So I'm kind of having a different rhythm this summer, which is really, um, it's really beneficial for me. So thank you and thanks to our leadership team for giving me a little uh, bit of space uh, just to find some renewal this summer. And I'm grateful for our teaching team who is stepping in to carry uh, this with me. Here's the Genesis context. Uh, first four weeks really uh, is an overview of four generations uh, from Genesis 12 to Genesis 50, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph next week. Andrew West will be up next week teaching on the life and the story of Joseph. Uh, here's some context for Genesis in general. Genesis 1 to 11, early history of the human race. And it ends with the Tower of Babel. So you get the, the flood, Noah chapter 9, and then the beginning of uh, all of the generations from Noah uh, to uh, the scattering of people in the famous Tower of Babel story in Genesis 11, and then Abraham, the story of Abraham begins in Genesis 12, and then uh, Wes will finish next week uh, in Genesis. So four generations in God's salvation history, the beginning of God's chosen family, 300 years. That's kind of where we've been the last two weeks and where we are going to be today and next week. Uh, Greg Hook, two weeks ago, uh, the life, the story of Abraham and Sarah. A uh, couple of things from his message. God reveals himself to the greatest. Abraham, Father Abraham. He reveals himself to Abraham. I will bless you and I will make you a great nation. Genesis 15, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. To Hagar, God reveals himself to the least. And she is being exiled away from Abraham and Sarah with her son Ishmael, and she is on uh, a journey that is broken and alone, and uh, God shows up and he reveals himself to Hagar and says, I hear you. You have cried out to me, and I hear your cry, and then she responds to the Lord and says, you are the God who 
sees. El Roy is the Hebrew word. El Roy, the God who sees me in my distress. Week one. Week two, Isaac and Rebecca, Jody spoke last week, and in our life, we need fresh words from the Lord when we are confused. Would you agree with that? And Rebecca is uh, confused. What's going on? She's pregnant with twins, and she comes before the Lord, and she asks God for a fresh word, and God gives her a fresh word. And Isaac, in his journey, needs reassurance from God, and God gives him the reassurance that he is part of the Abrahamic promise that God gave to Abraham. He also gives it to Isaac. And so he reassures Isaac. And then uh, a statement, I think, in summary of Jody's message is, uh, let's be the kind of people that will bring water to 10 camels. If you don't know what that means, you should listen to Jody's message from last week. And so Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, to today, the story of Jacob. Um, If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Genesis chapter 25? Um, We are a church that is is thirsty for the Spirit of God, and we want to experience the presence of God in our fellowship, and and when we worship, we want to understand and grow and know that God's Holy Spirit, His presence is with us, and we also want to be a church family that's hungry for the Word of God. And so every time we gather, we're going to be Word of God. So I just encourage you to bring your Bible with you and something to even write with as we uh, journey this summer. But I want to start with um, a passage that Jody uh, shared with us last week, uh, really the beginning of Jacob's story. Uh, the challenge of a series like this is not what to say. I mean, I haven't been in the pulpit in four weeks. I got plenty, I got plenty to say and this narrative is a, is a long narrative story. The challenge isn't what to say. It's how to figure out what to say. How do we narrow the focus of Jacob's life to bring it to you? And so that's the real challenge in putting notes together. And so what I want to do is, as best I can, give you a bit of a flyover of Jacob's story. We'll read a number of different passages uh, as we move along. And I'll put all those passages on the screen so you can know what I'm reading. And then at the end, we're going to kind of land. You see what I did there? We're going to fly over and then we're going to land. See what I did there, Paul? You saw what I did there. Um, we're going to land in one particular story that we're really going to talk about. You're like, what is he doing? JV, JV. I love that tank top, JV. All right. So here we go. Genesis 25. We'll start here, verses 23 to 28. Uh, this is where we'll start. The very beginning, um, Rebecca, uh, she has questions, big questions. And the Lord answered uh, Rebecca, um, and he said this to her. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And that is a big what? Because generational inheritance came from the firstborn son. But she asked the Lord for a fresh word about what's happening inside of her, and the Lord said, you're pregnant with twins. But here is is what I'm saying to you. The younger 
the younger will actually be served by the older. And when the time came for Rebekah to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. That's, that's something, that's something. <laughs> He's red, but his whole body is like a hairy garment. I'm just reading the Bible. <laughs> so they named him Esau, which means red. After this, his brother, his younger brother, came out, and his hand was grasping at Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob, which means he grasped the hill. It's like, hey, our son just came out, and he was grasping the hill of his older brother, so we should name him, he grasped the hill. Figuratively, that means deceiver. And so this story today, like Jacob's story today, began with a struggle. Struggling, holding on. And we will see as we unpack his story in his life, he continued to struggle in the narrative. There is deception a, a, a good amount of deception in this story. There is grief. There is an unknown future. There is fear. There is a literal wrestling match with God. To the degree that God gives Jacob a new name. Anybody know what Jacob's new name was? Israel, which means struggle with God. And so if you are here this morning and life has ever been a struggle for you or if life is a struggle for you, this story is going to infuse hope into your life today, I pray. Strength, perseverance. This story, Jacob, is a story about not letting go of the promises of God no matter what may come our way. More so, it's a story about God's promises holding on to us no matter how we ebb and flow in our life circumstances and our feelings about those things. Not a great beginning for Jacob. He's holding on to the hill. He's grasping at the heel. He's named Jacob. Verse 26, and Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Which is interesting because my papa Swain, his dad was 60 years old when he was born. So this doesn't just happen in like Bible times. That's an old dad. 60 years old, that's an old dad. But I'll just say, I'm kind of thankful that my great granddad had my papa. I mean... Seriously, I'm just saying. I wouldn't be here otherwise. You know, you know how this works. And the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter. He was a man of the open country. 
while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents, juxtaposing an outdoorsman and a bit of a homebody. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we've got a little, got a little favoritism going on here. Little family drama, would you say? Raise your hand if you have been in a family that's had some drama in your life. I'm just, oh, well, okay, okay. All of us, right? It's consistent with this story as well. Um, Rebecca favoring Jacob. Isaac favoring Esau. The drama continues. Verse 29 to 34. Once Jacob was cooking, they're older now. Jacob's cooking, he's cooking at home. That's where he likes to be. And he was cooking some stew. And Esau came in from the open country famished. Now, when my kids come to me and they're like, Dad, I'm starving. I always have a comeback to my kids. And they know what it is. And it's always like, well, you're not actually starving, but your tummy's probably a little hungry right now. We don't really know anything about starving here, just saying that out loud. But I think that Esau probably in this moment was legitimately starving because of what happens in this story. He comes, I'm famished. So he says to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he, Esau, was also called Edom, which means red, and he, his people would become the Edomites. Jacob replies, Jacob the younger son replies to Esau the older son, first sell me your birthright because Esau had the birthright because he's the first son. Esau says, look, I am about to die. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. And he ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So we got family favoritism. And we got some sibling rivalry going on. I just would say a lot of family tension. Would you say that? Would you, like a lot of family drama, a lot of family tension going into the story. And then as the story continues, we get into chapter 27. And I'm, again, I'm giving a 30,000 foot flyover. I highly encourage you to go home and read, read all of the story. We get into chapter 27, and there's this famous story, Jody mentioned it last week, where, you know, Jacob had already, like, basically contrived to get the birthright from his son, but now they, he and his mom were contriving to get the father's blessing. And Isaac is well on in his years, and he had lost his eyesight, and they thought he was probably at the end of his life. He actually would live, I think, another 20 years after the scene. But they literally dressed Jacob up in Esau's clothes so that he would smell like his big brother. 
And then they literally like get animal fur and like put it on his arms. And he goes to his dad. And they trick his dad basically into giving the father's blessing to Jacob instead of the older son Esau. And Rebecca is in on the whole thing. Skip across to 27. Let's read 41 to 45. Because I, I, I just I want to keep reading bits of the story so you know I'm not just making this stuff up. But this is what the story is telling us. And because of what happened, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing that was stolen from him. The blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. And before we get too angry with Esau, can we just allow Esau to be a human being and to hold together what happened to this bro? Can we just like, man, that... Your birthright, you got taken because you were starving and Jacob took advantage of your like being. Now you're like, I mean, can we just like let him be a human and be like, I probably would be a little frustrated as well. But it's to the degree his bitterness and resentment was an enragement. I will kill my brother Jacob. And so Rebecca was told of what her older son had said. She sent for her younger son, Jacob, and she said to him, your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. He has murderous thoughts. He's so bitter. He's so angry. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban, Rebekah's brother Laban in Haran. It's the ancestral home of where Rebekah is from. Stay with Laban, your uncle, my brother, for a while until your brother's fury subsides. And when your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I will send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? And so he sent to his uncle Laban. Um, and the reality of this whole story is that uh, Laban is a bit of a trickster too. So the story just gets even more dramatic. Jacob is a bit of a trickster. Can we, right? I mean, God in his sovereignty and his plan is using some broken stuff to move his purposes and plans forward. And he goes to Laban, and Laban is a bit of a trickster as well. What happens is Jacob gets there, and he sees Laban's daughter, Rachel, and he has eyes for Rachel. And he says, will you give me your daughter, Rachel? And Laban says, work for me. Anybody know how many years? Seven years. And so Jacob does that. And I don't, we're not going to spend too much time on this. Uh, but somehow, some way in the story, um, he marries Laban does the old switcheroo on the wedding day. I'm not really sure how that all happens, but that's what happens. And same thing happened to Jacob that he had done to Esau. And so Laban says to him, if you 
if you will go through the wedding week, then if you work for me seven more years, then I will give you Rachel. You guys, this is a pretty wild story. It's a pretty wild story, pretty dramatic situation, a lot of stuff going on here. Um, And in this process, um, Jacob needs some reassurance from God. And that's what he's going uh, to get in the story. So um, let's continue to read this passage. Esau, he holds a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing of his father. And he says, the days of my mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother. Verse 42, when Rebekah was told that her older son Esau had said, she sends for her younger brother, your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. Now flee at once to my brother Laban and stay with him for a little while. And when your brother is no longer angry, right? So that's what's happening. Now let's skip forward to Genesis 28. Let's pick the story up. Because all this stuff happens with Jacob and Leah and Rachel And it's time to come back home. It's time to come back home. And God gives him the assurance of this. And what ends up happening in the story is that he's heading back home and he has this dream. And he sees this picture. Anybody know what it is? Jacob's dream. It's It's a ladder, right? It's from the earth to heaven and God is at the top and angels are ascending and descending. And in this space of him heading back home. And guess who lives back home? Guess who still is there? Esau is there. It had been 20 years. Do you think that Jacob had some feelings about big brother Esau being back home? You think he had some anxiety about that? Like what's gonna happen 20 years after the fact when I get back home? And so, God does for Jacob exactly what God did for Isaac. I am going to show up and I'm going to reassure you that in this place of uncertainty and fear about your future, that I am with you and that the promise to Abraham also came to Isaac and also came to you. You've made a bit of a mess of things, but I will be faithful to my promises. Here's what happens in the story, Genesis chapter 28, uh, verses, I'll start in verse 12, actually. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, the dream of Jacob's ladder. And there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants, Jacob, your descendants, Jacob, will be like the dust of the earth. And you will, you will spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. Some of you came to church this morning and you didn't know what you needed from the Lord, but you needed something. And I think this verse may be what you came here for today. I 
am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. I love that that is a promise that Jacob gets in this place of uncertainty as he's heading back home in the fear of facing his brother. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he placed under his head and set it as a pillar and poured oil on it. And he called the place Bethel, which means house of God. Jacob's ladder. And he gets the reassurance that he needs before he goes home. I just want to pause here for just a moment and just like hold together like this kind of wild, confusing, perplexing story of decisions that were made that weren't great decisions, but God weaving his sovereignty and his purposes through a broken family. And I think it just gives me such a place of encouragement for us to consider because so often in our lives when hard things happen, hard circumstances happen, our feelings get way out ahead of our minds. Our feelings and our circumstances get way out in front of the promises of God. And I just want to say out loud that it's the promises of God and it's holding on to the promises of God. When we don't see what God is doing and we don't, certainly we don't feel like God is moving and he is active in my life that gives us assurance of a hope that we can hold on to those promises. Here are uh, just, three, just three quick verses in the pause of the story. God is sovereign, church. And the sin of people cannot, will not thwart his gracious and merciful plans. God is always faithful to his promises. Psalm 89 Eight, who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. Micah 7, 8, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. God is showing up. Jacob's ladder showing mercy, compassion, grace, strength, empowerment in a really unknown and scary place for Jacob. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So Jacob has 12 sons and he has 12 sons from Leah, his first wife, and he has sons from Rachel and he has sons from two handmaidens. The sovereignty of God in this story would become the 12 sons of Israel. Jesus, anybody, Bible trivia, Jesus comes from the tribe of, anyone know? Judah, who was the son of 
Leah, not Rachel. Joseph, next week's story, comes from Jacob and Rachel. Twelve tribes from four ladies. <laughs> Moving on. This is a big story in Genesis 30. Jacob leaves the land of Laban. Genesis 31, he gets confused, he gets overwhelmed. Here's the promise again. We just read it in 28. God gives it to him again in Genesis 31. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. You don't think I'm with you. You don't feel I'm with you. The circumstances in your life tell you I'm not with you. I'm telling you I'm with you over and over and over again. 20 years since he had seen Jacob. The memory of Esau, his threat to kill Jacob, I believe, had never left him. He had God's promises, but he was also afraid for his life. He had God's promises, but he was also afraid. I think that's probably relevant to a lot of us in the room. We have God's promises, but I, my future is unknown. I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. Here's what happens in the story. Genesis 32, 7 to 12. In that place, as we continue the story, 7 to 12, in great fear. He had God's promises. God had shown up to him two times before. I'm with you. You're in the blessing. But here's where he is emotionally. Verse 7, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups. Did God tell Jacob to divide the people into two groups? No. God told Jacob to go back to his land and that he would be with him. But this is so relevant to who I am as a follower of God. I have the promises of God, but I'm feeling afraid. And when I feel afraid, I'm going to make some decisions on what I think is best for me to do. In my fear, I'm going to try to control this. And so Jacob has the promises of God, but he's afraid. And so in his fear, he starts strategizing about what he thinks he should do. And that's what he's doing. He divides the people into two groups. The flocks and the herds and the camels, he had accumulated all this wealth when he was in the land of his uncle Laban. And he thought, if, es- if Esau comes and attacks one of the groups, the group that is left may escape. So he strategizes, he does something that God didn't tell him to do. He's holding his fear, he's trying to control it, but then he also has the promises of God. I just think this is so relevant to our lives. And Jacob prayed, O oh, God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac, O oh Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid, I am afraid. He will come and attack me and also the mothers and their children. But you who have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be 
counted. He's holding on to both. He's holding on to the promises and he has his fear and his strategy. I just think this is so relevant. And so here, here's what he does. He splits them into two groups and he's like, I need, I need like 10 of you dudes right here. Here's a bunch of stuff. Here's a bunch of cattle. Here's a bunch of camels. Here's a bunch of stuff. I need 10 of you dudes. Who can do it? I need 10 dudes. Okay, okay, okay. Go to Esau. Tell him, like, make a peace offering to try to appease him. And so they go do that. And then they come back. And they're like, bro, Esau's coming. He's got 400 men. So what does, what does Jacob do? He gets more gifts, more cattle, more stuff to send back to Esau to try to pacify him. And then he does this. He sends everyone away. He sends everyone away. And he is alone by himself in the middle of the night, afraid for his life, afraid for his family. And this is where we get to Genesis 32, 22 to 32. And this is the famous story of Jacob wrestling with God. Have you ever wrestled with God? Have you ever asked the big questions? Have you ever been so overwhelmed and so broken, so angry, so in grief, so unsure about the future that you literally wrestle with God? This story is remarkable because it's a physical wrestling match with the God of the universe. In his despair, in his fear, in the unknown, Jacob has this wrestling match with God. And this is where I want to zoom in with you. He's all alone. And that night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons. He hadn't had Benjamin yet. His youngest son is Benjamin uh, that he and Rachel had. And this is before that happened, contextually. And they crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, all alone. And a man wrestled with him all night till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name no longer will be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and you have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed Jacob there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping. He was limping because of his hip. He would walk with a limp for the rest of his life. Therefore, to this day, 
the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Man, this wrestling match and this name change transformed, transformed Jacob's life. It marked a new beginning for Jacob. The struggle with God, the wrestling with God is what birthed his transformation. If life has ever been a struggle for you, if life is a struggle for you, if you are wrestling with God about whatever is going on in your life, I just want to give that room to breathe here. You have questions, you have concerns, you have fear, you have anger, you have whatever you have. I just want to give you permission, church, to wrestle and to struggle with God about big questions. And what I want to do in the last moments that we have, I just, I just want to be someone like Barnabas. For one of you, some of you, I just want to be a son of encouragement to you in your questions and in your struggle. Because I believe that there is power in God-breathed encouragement. And I'm just praying that God would use this broken vessel to encourage you in your struggle. Some of you in this room are in the dark night of the soul. Some of you have been in the dark night of the soul. And I believe that when we are in the dark night of the soul, we must remember and hold on to and not refuse to let go who you are in Jesus and the promises that God has given to you in Jesus. Jacob refused to let go. And I just pray that that is an encouragement for some of you in the road to keep holding on to the hope that you have in God. Even if you don't feel it, and some of you don't feel it, and I've been there, and some of you don't see it because the circumstances of life, the waves are so big in your life, you can't see anything but the waves. You can't feel anything but being overwhelmed. And I've been there, and I know what that experience is like. And I just want to lock arms with you, and I want to declare this to you. This is who you are. You are the beloved of God. And this is who God is. God is El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. Your name is beloved, and his name is I am the Almighty God of the universe, and I am with you. 
some of you in this room are thinking about Amy Grant right now. I know you are, Jeremy. Amy Grant, she was kind of a big deal in the 80s and 90s. And she wrote this song like, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I was talking to my friend Kenny. He's right here. We had a laugh about this. He's like, El Shaddai. And I was like, it was funny. And it's actually a really kind of clever way to remember what El Shaddai means. Who's your daddy? Abba, Father. Abba, God is powerful. El Shaddai. This is a story about holding on and not letting go. And this is a story about El Shaddai not letting go of you. Here's what happens. Listen to this. Genesis 35, 10 to 15. I'm so excited to share this with you. Listen. Genesis 35, 10, 10 to 15. And we'll finish here. After Jacob returned, God appeared to him, blessed him. God said, your name is Jacob, but you are no longer called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. You have struggled with God. You have held on and you have refused to let go of the hope and the promises of God. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Be fruitful, increase in number, and a nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from your body. Remember where he was. He was afraid that Esau was going to murder him. That's what the circumstances said. That's what his feelings said. But God is saying, no, this is what is going to happen. You are in the blessing of your father Abraham and your father Isaac, and you are the beginning of God's chosen nation. You, Jacob, in this place. It's remarkable. The land I give to Abraham, Isaac, I also give to you. And I'll give this land to your descendants after you. And then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. And he sets up that stone pillar at that same place that God had spoken to him. And he poured out a drink offering and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called... God had talked to him again, Bethel, house of God. So here's what I'm excited to show you. Here's what we just saw. God told Jacob, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Remember what God told Hagar. He didn't tell Hagar, I am God Almighty. He said, I am the God who hears you. And then she said, you are also the God who sees me. And so she said, you are El Roy true El Roy and El Shaddai. Here's a question. If God only sees us in our places of struggle, pain, wandering, grief, fill in the blank, but he has no power to comfort us, heal us, deliver us, give us an eternal hope if he only sees us, if God is only El Roy and not El Shaddai, is there real hope in that? He sees me, and I'm glad that he sees me, but what do I do with all this pain and all this struggle and all this unknown? And the hope of today is that Jesus Christ is El Roy. He sees you. And Jesus is also El Shaddai. He is the God who sees and he is God Almighty. And he brings deliverance 
for us always. The hope of El Roy is El Shaddai. Jesus is the God who sees. He is God Almighty. He sees us, redeems us. He sees us, restores us. He sees us, makes us new. God's strategy is always hope, church. God's strategy is always to give you hope, real hope, real hope. And all three stories, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Leah, Rachel, all these themes, deceit, favoritism, family strife, unexpected blessing, and faith flow through all of these narratives. It's a bit of a mess. It's a bit of a story. But here's what is consistent throughout all that drama. God is always faithful to his promises every single time. He chooses, this is sovereignty, and he chooses to accomplish his purposes through broken and mistake-prone people who are willing to keep believing in him and refusing to let go of the truth that we have with us, El Roy and El Shaddai. Would you stand together? I want to proclaim this passage of scripture over us, and I want to do something that I just kind of been doing this a little bit of late, and I have found, personally, I have found strength in it. I just think there's power and God-breathed encouragement, and just hearing you speak the promises of the truth, of the liberating promises of God over yourself and over people in the room. There's something, there's something of the promises and the strength of God that I believe happens as we stand and we read God's scripture aloud. And so uh, we're going to read this aloud from Romans 5, uh, and then we're going we're to worship the God of all comfort the God of all grace, and the God of all hope. Would you read Romans 5, 3 to 5 with me? We can rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. Amen. Let's worship. Let's worship the Lord together.